Welcome to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. I'm your host, Nancy Surak. I created this podcast as a way to collect conversations of women in the land and development industry. I've been a land broker on the West Coast of Florida for nearly 20 years, and I love to empower other women and to tell them about this amazing industry. But I find often that there just aren't enough women being featured on big stages, whether that's at local conferences or nationally. So I set out to find these women myself that are killing it in my business across North America that are changing the communities that they live in every single day, whether they're building condos, multifamily, single family, office or industrial projects. I hope that you will find this space to be inspirational, motivating, and educational. From time to time, I will feature women who are not only in my business, but also career coaches and motivational speakers. Welcome back to She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. Today's guest is Tara Hernandez, the president of JCH Properties out of New Orleans, Louisiana. If you are a regular listener here, you know that I am a New Orleans girl. I could not be more thrilled to have Tara on the show today. Can't wait to get into learning more about your background, Tara, and what you're doing in my hometown. So welcome to She's Wild. I'd like to just go ahead and turn it over to you and say, you know, tell us a little bit more about who you are, what you're doing in your company, and what you're doing in our great city. Sure. First of all, thank you so much for having me. And uh Happy to share that we're NOLA girls together. Uh, nothing like a New Orleans girl, right? <laughs> we are so, pretty unique, for yes, sure. Yes, a- absolutely. So um, I actually uh, have been doing development since uh, probably almost 38 years in, in the real estate business. Um, started just getting my real estate license right in college and have just been um, working in different aspects of it probably the last uh, over 20 some years um specifically in the development arena but you know background still still a broker real estate broker today mostly utilize it in conjunction with um you know the development projects not as a traditional um broker all the time although I am getting into that again a little bit uh we can share about that later um and just you know, really done appraisal work and property tax consulting that just sort of evolved into uh, doing real estate development. So now I noticed that you have a degree from Loyola, your undergrad, and then you have your master's in real estate from MIT. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did that happen in the beginning of your career or did you go back to school after you'd been doing real estate for a while? Sure. So um, the undergrad has has a finance business and finance. So that, you know, always helps. And then um, you needed two years of uh, most places required two years of experience um, for grad school. And um, some of the schools that I, you know, were on my sort of my checklist um, all required some expertise or, or some, you know, work in the business. And so um, I had, you know, a couple of years experience um, doing different different real estate type things, Sp- specifically before I went to my uh, graduate program, besides, you know, brokerage, property, tax consulting, appraisal, and then some neighborhood development projects. So I had worked um, 
uh, just some really um, easy renovations. Nothing, nothing major started until I finished uh, the grad school program. Okay, so let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you finish the grad school program and you decide I'm going to do something hard. Yes. Tell me fun. about. Tell Always me about one need of those to try deals. to be fun. <laughs> I'm sorry. Repeat the question. <laughs> tell me about one of those deals that you said. Sure. Okay. I know. So what I'm actually, doing. what happened is when I would uh, come home to, to, you know, on a break, on a holiday break or something, I would meet with different people in the real estate um, community, whether it be mortgage banking, whether it be development, um, just just to get different perspectives on, you know. What do you do every day? How does that work? So that I could hone a little bit more into, you know, what I might have an interest in. And one of those visits was with the president of um, one of the banks. And they were at the time um, planning to acquire several banks, like smaller credit union type banks Mm -hmm. throughout the city. And they said, well, how about, you know, we're, we, we should be acquiring this, this bank soon. And what about maybe planning a real estate um, neighborhood redevelopment within the area that will be acquiring the bank? And so I said, oh, that might be a good idea. So essentially what we did was I did my thesis on neighborhood development and targeted, you know, I guess it was about a 12 or 14 block area and partnered with the bank. And we renovated properties for first time home buyers all within. So really recreating um, and helping to stabilize that neighborhood with, you know, the bank as sort of an anchor. That's fantastic. Which section of town was that in? It was in uh, the seventh ward near Gentilly. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. So was this uh, prior to Katrina? Yes, way prior to Katrina. <laughs> okay, so way prior to Katrina. And, and for mm-hmm. those of you who are here today, you might not recognize what Katrina is, uh, possibly, especially if you're younger. Um, massive hurricane hit New Orleans in 2005. Five, yeah, five. Five, five. yeah, August 2005. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because I was going to say, I think it was like the week before I got into brokerage, but I was in Florida. Mm -hmm. Um, Just a tremendous amount of just impact on the city. I'm sure, you know, folks here today are are aware, um, but really turned the city of New Orleans inside out for a number of years. So you did that project. Then you stayed there. Tell me about the transition during that whole time. I'm remembering the date. So it was like around 1994. So it was a while ago. Okay. So it was well before that. Mm -hmm. But then, you know, you you progress in your career. You're still in commercial real estate, correct? Mm -hmm. And when Katrina hits. So let me let me bring you back a little bit on the journey. So, okay, perfect. uh, Once I completed that project, um, I started identifying other parts of um, the city that had historic housing that had been abandoned and the strategy is essentially you don't go into the middle of chaos, you build off of strengths, right? So Mm -hmm. you find anchor areas that are, you know, on the borders of of some neighborhoods that need a little TLC. And you start from the anchor and slowly take the neighborhood that needs the TLC and sort of merge it into what's the stable area, right? Mm -hmm. 
it could be independent, but it's just adjacent. And so that you can, you know, provide some positive um, development, uh, a little, like I said, a little TLC. So I did that in several neighborhoods throughout the city. And then I either held them for rental properties or I sold them to first time home buyers. And um, and then thereafter, it was time for my firstborn. Mm-hmm. And I decided I wanted to start working on a little more focused, larger projects than independently moving throughout the city. So I um, had some of those people that I had spoken with when I was coming back from grad school. I had developed relationships with these larger developers and they needed um, some help. And so I said, look, I'm going to take three months off after my firstborn, but you know, I'll be game to to move into the next thing. And so I started working with a large developer that focused on um, ma- mostly public-private partnerships in the conversion of old abandoned historic properties into multifamily, multifamily with ground floor retail and ultimately hotels. And um, so uh, my first project with them was, ooh, back then it was probably like a $10 million deal in Shreveport, Louisiana. And we did an artist housing. So it was uh, two buildings and sort of a campus. And it provided a preference for artists because I say artists are the arbiters of cool. They make the cool stuff happen. And oftentimes they're, you know, once, once it's the hip place, they're displaced because the rents have increased and they are no longer able to stay where they really created the cool space. And so utilizing some um, specific programs that provided they had some affordable units that remained um, affordable with a preference for artists, along with traditional market rate units in those old warehouses, you know, so they were Mm -hmm. basically lofts. But you could cater some amenities to those customers, right? Right. And so I've done, had done several of those, either not not all his uh, artist related, but um, in you know New Orleans, throughout other parts of the state, and St. Louis, and other states. And so I did that all the way up to Katrina. And so I was an entrepreneur, then I went to work for a developer. And then when Katrina happened, I became an entrepreneur again. And I've been uh, with this, you know, having my company since then again. Okay, so what I was alluding to was there was a lot of redevelopment that happened after oh, Katrina. Mm-hmm. And, and when you mentioned Gentilly, um, that was a really hard hit area. Mm-hmm. Now, I don't live there anymore. I still have family mm-hmm. in the, uh, right outside of the city. Um, but I can remember we made a trip, uh, I think it was seven weeks after the storm hit and it was just really mind blowing what happened to certain swaths uh, or neighborhoods completely gone, completely mm-hmm. gone or so damaged that they had to be completely rebuilt. And well, was that was the curious, majority of the city. <laughs> right. I was just curious, you know, were there opportunities, did you get into any of the opportunities in terms mm-hmm. of being able to redevelop and rebuild some of those areas? Absolutely. I, you know, um, stuck with what I knew. Right. And so there were um, I don't know if you remember this property called the Blue Plate. It it manufactured Mm -hmm. mayonnaise, 
um, yes. salad dressing and barbecue sauce. And it's near Xavier University. Yep. Uh, I Jeff- think I probably did so- some field trips there as a kid. Okay. Well, that'd be fun. Cool. So there was a, um, there was a bread, uh, a bread company right there too. Year, the light- years ago. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyway. So um so that was one of my projects that I did um okay. after Katrina. Um and that was also with a slant uh a car because it's called the Blue Plate Artist Lofts. And they're uh what 72 units over there, and we stay full, everybody loves it. It's you know at a great intersection of of um you know different parts of the city, so it's easy easily accessible. And so that's that. Um, I developed a, a shopping center um, at, actually before, you know, unfortunately we didn't have many large retailers, which is really like unimaginable in this heart of the city. So mm-hmm. the New Orleans residents had to go to what you know as Jefferson Parish yep. and spend their sales tax dollars there when there was a large need. And so um, with actually a, a developer that I knew out of St. Louis was coming in to do um, some housing and they needed um, some commercial retail along Claiborne Avenue, right? Yep. Which has like 77,000 cars of traffic a day. And so we developed what is a little over 100,000 square foot shopping center that has the PetSmart, Alta, TJ Maxx, um, I can't even remember everything right now, but but a bank, um, subway, you know, just a, a good mix of box in midsize or large box and some smaller retailers that literally draws from different parts of the city. And what we really wanted to do was try to offer something, a little bit of something to everyone. So people from Uptown New Orleans and people, you know, it's Claiborne Avenue. I don't know if you realize this is um, the one state highway that goes through three parishes. Right. And for you and for those who don't know, a parish is a county. (laughs) We we like to be we like to be unique here in in Louisiana. And so um, it's St. Bernard, Jefferson or or St. Bernard Orleans and then Jefferson. It travels through all three. And so it's a, you know, a major, of course, with 77,000 cars, traffic corridor and great for um, lots of retail. So we have a Raising Canes and like I said, the PetSmart, the Alta, TJ Maxx um, and others. Now, Tara, do you still maintain ownership in these developments? I do in the Blue Plate and Magnolia Marketplace. Yes. Fantastic. I mm-hmm. love that. So in, in anything else you've touched, you either sold or done it as a fee development. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Um, are you working on anything? I don't manage. Under- I, I let my partners do that. That's that's that would be me. <laughs> um, are you doing anything currently? Are you building any projects in the city right now? Yeah, we actually have a really exciting project. Um, the convention center, um, there's a 40 acre tr- tract of vacant land. That's sort of been sitting on the river for a very long time at the edge of the convention center. And the convention center um, owns the land and let an RFP right before the COVID mess, right? Our fun COVID mess. Mm-hmm. And so um, we were selected. Our, our team of developers were selected. And so we're literally building a new neighborhood. I mean, yeah, brand new neighborhood on the river called the River District. And awesome. just to help. 
um, with the with the people who are listening to the podcast. You know, we have a you know million square feet convention center. That's one of the top convention centers. We have ocean going cruises. We have river going cruises. We have what we call Mardi Gras World, which is basically like a museum for the Mardi Gras floats and the builder. And um, we're right at the edge of downtown and, um, you know, on a very high traffic street. And essentially, um, it will be a mix of apartments and condos and office and hotel and entertainment, both sports, you know, cultural museums, literally building a new neighborhood on the river. And hopefully we get started uh, with that in uh, Q1 because there's a lot of infrastructure work with new roads and in traffic lights and all that other fun stuff. But um, really um, have the community excited about it. And I like to call it, take me to the river. It's where you'll want to be. I absolutely love that. And just for my own purposes, because I think I know the property that you're talking about, but I want to make sure. So if you're facing Mardi Gras World, is it to the right? If you're facing Mardi Gras World on Chapatulas, mm-hmm. it's all in front of you. Okay. It's everything so it's that big area right in front of what yes, an amazing but there's location. also some on the other side behind yep. you on Chapatulas mm-hmm. and to your left, which is if you remember Henderson is yep. the end of the convention center, and there are a couple of lots that they use for parking that will be included in what we're working that's on. That's kind of the missing piece in the city, right? Because mm-hmm. that's gonna mm-hmm. connect downtown, the CBD, the French Quarter with everything that happens. Uptown. Actually, uptown. yes. You know, hopefully I'll keep my fingers crossed. We're exploring. Maybe you can continue the riverfront streetcar, you know, all the way there. I would think and, so. And then if you remember the old Intergy power plant, it was a power yep. plant. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of our partners purchased that. And so that's sort included in the district. So, um, so I grew up in, uh, I grew up on the West Bank, but my mm-hmm. dad worked uh, for the railroad system. Oh, and absolutely. there's a switch yard or used to be, I don't even know if it's still over there, right over there. And that's yes. same general. Uh, it, it's literally, station. that's on the other side of the flood wall. And actually I was a um, port commissioner. So I know in, in the port owns the railroad. If you don't know right. that the short, line. I did not know that. But mm-hmm. um, another little known fact about me is my uh, first college internship after I graduated from LSU, but before I moved to Florida was at the port authority. I was oh, in wow. the marketing department. And I got that job because I was waitressing at the faculty club at LSU. And I Uh met the CEO back then, Uh somebody at the port. And I was an international business major. And I was Mm -hmm. like, hey, I'm graduating this semester and I need a job because I'm going to Mm -hmm. grad school in the fall. Mm -hmm. And he was like, well, call me next week. And I like hounded him for weeks and ended up in the marketing department doing all their, Mm -hmm. uh, it was like marketing research and putting Mm -hmm. all their stats together. It was really mm-hmm. marketing statistics mm-hmm. as to all their containers and who was yes. coming in and out of the and city. The so it was really yes. cool. Yeah. Uh, it was a great experience. Yeah. Um, okay, great. Good, good, good to know that. Interesting. Yeah. So no, I mean I'm super excited. I think that is just such a fun area. Like there's a lot of potential there. So I'm I'm already thinking like, oh, I can't wait to see that come out of the ground because I'll come and like check it out. Absolutely. Um, because I don't do a whole lot in the quarter, but when we come from the West Bank to come into downtown, a lot of times we use that exit right there. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I know there's also an on ramp right there. Yep. Yep. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I use that. Um, and that used to be my way in and out of the port when I used mm-hmm. to go to 
back oh, then they That's were Anderson. in yes uh they were in the building I guess it's the international business building I don't even know what it's called now but that kind of funky you, building mm-hmm. um that looks like it I, the it, World Trade Center have, yeah it doesn't really have the windows World, the World Trade Center now yep is a hotel it's the Four Seasons oh god I need to go in that <laughs> we were we were just there a few months ago and I don't even think I realized that mm-hmm Mm -hmm. fun. Okay. So when you look back at the project you're about to build, the first ones that you did, and you look back at the landscape of the city Mm -hmm. and you drive down the street and you can say, I was involved in changing that neighborhood and I did that deal. Is there one that stands out above the rest that you're incredibly proud of? Mm -hmm. So, um, I love them all, but I'm going to tell you about another cool project I did as a volunteer. So I happened to be the um, vice chair of the New Orleans uh, Jazz and Heritage Festival and Foundation. Basically, it's the foundation that owns the Jazz Fest and WWOZ radio station. Mm -hmm. And for you listeners out there, um, the Jazz Fest is the largest fundraiser for the foundation. And so with the proceeds, they do a lot of community programming, including grants to the community. But one of those programs is a free music school for kids. Mm-hmm. And it um, so they have, you know, family. We have lots of musical families in New Orleans. And some of those family legends um, actually teach the classes. And so the kids had a um, classroom on the weekend that was at one of the universities, so they did not have a home of their own. And so I supervised, um, you know, the development of this space that has a performance space in, you know, different music rooms and a recording studio. And the most joy when those kids walked in the door the first time and saw that the space was for them, it was just amazing just to see the smiles on their faces. So that's like one of my really fun, I I literally was anticipating how they would react. And they are so talented. Um, Literally, it was about 10 of them that ran to the room with the drums. Of course, that's where they would would run. And I said, oh my goodness, this is not going to work. And when I tell you they had a jam session that was amazing, with no cue, it was just really like an open thing. So that that's one of my most rewarding development projects. That's such a cool story. Mm-hmm. Um, when I, I mentioned we were recently down there, uh, we went down to Frenchman Street. Mm-hmm. And, and now I'm from there. But when mm-hmm. you are from a place and you don't live there, you don't tend to see some of the parts of the city. Right. Um, like tourists do because you're visiting with family. Mm-hmm. But we went down the Frenchman Street for the first time in years. And I'm going to tell you, like, it was mind-blowing for me. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun. The talent was amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We just hopped from, like, bar to bar mm-hmm. to bar. Mm-hmm. It really just to listen to the different musicians. And, mm-hmm. and for me, having been from there, it was, like, just such a, a surreal experience to watch, you know, trombone and horn, different, various horn players literally walking down the city to go to their next set mm-hmm. with their, with all of their equipment, their equipment. and, mm-hmm. you know, just literally just jumping up on stage and getting into mm-hmm. another jam session. It was really, really cool. Makes me want to go back. Makes me yeah. miss it. 
Well, I live two blocks away. So the next time you come, you can knock on my door. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So so I love that you you shared that. Um, has there been a project that has been incredibly challenging that you couldn't wait for it to be over with? Yes. So there was one that was exhausting um, just because it was a post-Katrina project and um, just stops and starts, never gave up, just was you know, relentless about it. But just the the end of the day, the first catalytic projects are often um, difficult to finance because it's new. There's there's no comp. Um, and most of them require public-private partnerships. And what that means for your listeners is that they don't happen unless the city, state, and or federal government come together um, because it's a priority, right? And so in that instance, the priority was we did not have retail in Orleans Parish and it was needed, A, just in terms of residents, but also the tax dollars that we were sharing with a neighboring parish slash county that we couldn't invest in our police our infrastructure, our um, parks, kids programs, whatever. And so being able to do that, but it was still post-Katrina, everybody needed assistance at the same time. And so um, just a challenge with that and just keeping, you know, with, with market, general economic and market change and keeping everybody sort of in sync and in, in moving the ball and getting across the finish line. So it was an accomplishment. It wore you out uh, because what happens is you work hard and then you start all over again. Right. So that was that was one of the tougher ones just because of all the pieces and parts that were required to make it happen. But we do we did make it happen. It stays full and it absolutely takes care of lots of needs that um People can actually walk there or they're they're passing by and they drive and, you know, they share with me all the time. Oh, I shop at this or whatever. And so um, happy to have, um, you know, been provided a need, but also something that I can be proud of. Yeah, absolutely. Hard work um, pays yeah. off, right? <laughs> well, we hope it does. Um, I like to think that it does. And if there's one consistent theme that I hear from most of my interviews uh, it's knowing that the work that you've done as a developer or whatever stage you're at in the deal mm -hmm. has made a difference in that community. You know, right. it's something that you can point to and say, you know, I did that. And the community is better in these ways because of it, whether it's housing or retail or, um, you know, special use projects like your your jazz place. Um, it's it's just really nice to know that you've made a contribution somewhere. Um so, you know, for, for me, you know, I want to thank you because even though I don't live there, I, I do pay attention to how the city is doing. And when I uh -huh. see investment being made, it makes me happy because it is such a unique place, Yes, not only to be from, but to visit and to welcome the world. They're really, I've lived all over and I don't know of another place that's quite as welcoming. Yes, absolutely. You know, just celebrate. I tell people it, they celebrate everything there, mm -hmm. everything. Mm -hmm. Death, life, every festival you can think of, it's on some weekend of the year and a big party. Um, well, here's a quick stat because we did this with, with another project I was working on. We have more um, live music festivals than anybody in the country. 
Festival season season starts, you know, right after Mardi Gras and pretty much goes through, you know, the end of October with good voodoo. (laughs) I'm going to have to make it a point to come this year. I have never been to the Jazz Fest. Oh, wow. Yeah. It just never worked out for my schedule growing Mm -hmm. up. I always had exams during mm-hmm. those last, you know, those two weeks. Mm-hmm. And so last never, weekend in April, first in May. So never go just block it out now. <laughs> but one of these days I'm going to come because I've, I've talked about it for so many years and I'm like, I'm going to come. It's going to be a huge event. <laughs> well, here's the, the best thing about it when people ask me about it is that we think we have about 10 stages now. Where else can you pay like maybe 70, 80 bucks in all day just have experienced every genre imaginable like in yeah. one day so you can go from the jazz to the blues to whatever's the latest on on some stages to the traditional brass to seeing an indian mardi gras indian parade and everything else all within the same day yeah jazz okay. gospel yeah everything I'm not, I'm so have that's to make what i like all. so i hop i hop just explore and have great food can't miss that part oh yeah the food See, we're getting ready to get a cold snap and I'm already thinking about gumbo. Yeah. <laughs> I'm talking to you. Okay. Right. So I know a little bit about some of the political nature of the city because I grew up there. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you manage that? You know, you talked about private public partnerships, but there's that it's a unique place to do business. Um, how how does that go in your business? Do you just have to really build strong relationships with folks so they know who you are? Right. So um Excellent question. I'm sure this is applicable in in many jurisdictions, I would say, but especially because you could be um, negotiating and then all of a sudden there's a new mayor, there's a new council or something Mm -hmm. like that and the transition. And so, you, you know, you hope, yes, you absolutely have to have good relationships, but hopefully your projects can also stand for themselves and speak, I should say, speak for themselves that, you know, they understand what was there before and 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 what has been developed in the past. And if not, you have to have advocates, right? That can mm-hmm. sort of toot your horn when you're not in the room and um, you know, just share information if if you're not there and, and help represent, you know, all the great things that you're hoping to um provide not only to the city. I mean, it has to be a win-win for everybody. Of course, the developer um, you know, we'll we'll have built something, but the community and and you know, there's got to be a part of a a public benefit that is realized from that. If you're asking for some assistance from um, the city or others and or others, right? right. So relationships um, absolutely key and good quality. It sounds like relationships yes. and making sure that what you're proposing. Yeah, can stand on its own. Well, you got to keep your word, and if and if you can't, you you explain that you can. You know what you can and can't do, and just be you know forward about it, um, so that you don't have a misunderstanding. Well, and I say that to my folks too, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just be transparent in your yes, in your and throughout the project, and Mm -hmm. usually, you know, everybody they want the same thing, and that's a successful project at the end of the day. Even residents who might be a little bit challenging, you know, right. our neighbors who might be a little bit challenging at the end of the day, they want something they can be proud of too. Oh, absolutely. Well, you know, the first thing is, um, you know, I have, I sort of touch 
Well, you know, New Orleans is about a lot of family. And so your family's all around. And so you may experience different neighborhoods that have different personalities. But the first thing is, is, um, you know, on your neighborhood tour, you have to listen. You have to really listen because you don't live there every day. And they should provide a perspective. Sometimes they're emotional, but it's because it's their neighborhood. But if you're, uh, you know, and you will not please everyone, you just got to understand that. But if you, you know, can listen and um, really listen and understand and try to be a problem solver when you can and be really, um, as you do with elected officials and otherwise, um, as you say, transparent with what you can do and what you can't do and not just, I can't do that. If you explain it, maybe you can uh, develop a resolution that you wouldn't have otherwise by maybe trying to draw a line in the sand. And so it's a collaborative approach um, and communication is essential. Great, great piece of advice there. Mm -hmm. um, so I wrap up every interview with a series of rapid questions. Sure. Um, I'm, so we're going to go into that phase right now. If a young woman or a young person, doesn't have to be a woman, although most of my mm -hmm. listeners are, are women, wanted to get into the development space, what would be a piece of advice that you would give them? So first of all, do not do not be afraid to ask any question and seek out sort of similar to how I did people who are doing um, what you think you might want to do, because sometimes it ends up being, oh, no, I really don't like that. And so you won't find out unless you, you know, reach out and have some conversations I would also say what's been really helpful for me is an organization called the Urban Land Institute, which is an yep. in international. And, you know, if they're young, they might meet this threshold where they can jo join as a um, sort of a junior member. But it is a wealth of um, resourceful information that you can see examples of different projects. You can understand, you know, what's the pulse of things. And as a member, it's easy to reach out and uh, to other members and say, hey, I'm a member ABC, you know, I'm inquiring about this or even, you know, the staff that they have in, in D.C. Um, are extremely helpful with with information. And they're also if, if it is a, a woman, they have some groups of um, females that literally um, get together for every of the meetings. And they do their own thing and have a lunch and do a, their own tour, uh, have their own speakers and just network um, to develop relationships. And so I think it's it's totally a relationship business, but um, do everything you can to know your stuff and know your numbers. Because if you understand how the numbers work, um, you can make, um, you know, at least some better decisions, hopefully. Yeah, no, that's great. Um, really great advice. I, I'm a longtime member of ULI, uh, very, very active in the women's leadership here on the West Coast of Florida. I talk about it a lot on a lot of my episodes. Um, it is by far been one of the best organizations that I've personally been a member of. I've gotten mm -hmm. a lot out of it, mm -hmm. but I've also been able to pour into other professionals mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. And so it's a, it's one of those organizations where I feel like the give and take is very balanced, mm -hmm. um, but the ability to learn or to see exactly what you said, be able to go to other cities and see what other folks in our world are building has been really, really remarkable. Absolutely. I've seen some really cool projects in Florida where I'm like, oh, 
oh, okay. You know, yeah. I, I was down in Miami uh, and, and saw a project where they literally just sucked the water out of the ground so that they could build an under underground garage in Miami oh, wow. where the water table is like, yes. you know, a yes. foot below, below oh, wow. the ground. Yes. Um, and just to be able to learn and get that exposure has been truly remarkable. Uh, so and when I sit in Tampa and people say, well, that's in the floodplain. And I'm like, eh, well, if they could suck it out of the ground in Miami. There's the a cool project like that in Boston. It's older, but the garage was underground and on top, they made it a park. Huh. Huh. So it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, Interesting. Okay. So the next question I have is, uh, is there an inspirational book or podcast that uh, you've listened to either recently or at some point in your career that you think uh, other folks who are here today might be able to benefit from if they were to consume that content? Wow. That's a a good question. So I nerd out and I listen to so many different things because another part part of my life is I run a tech fund and we invest in early to late stage technology companies. So I'm listening to a little bit of everything. I won't say that it's um, one specific thing is inspirational, but I am what they call an early adopter. Uh And so I love, you know, seeing what's next. And I think that's also really important for development because you can determine today, you know, I tell people it's two things, and this is a long winded for your rapid fire, but you have a idea looking for a piece of dirt or you have a piece of dirt looking for an idea, right? So, but when you begin, let's say it's an apartment building, a shopping center, you begin today, well, you have design time, you have construction time, it will not come online for maybe two and a half, three years. So you need to understand what people are going to want then, whatever it is. And so if you don't have your finger on the pulse, you're going to develop for what they wanted two years ago and not for now. And so that's, you know, find something that's inspirational for you that keeps you, you know, as a forward thing. Yeah, no, that's, that's great. I I got a Tesla back in 2020. Oh yeah. And it's been great. Love Mm -hmm. it. It's really fast. Mm -hmm. Um, But back then in 2020, I was telling every developer that I was talking to, Mm -hmm. um, about any piece of dirt I had mm-hmm. that they had better put charging stations mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. whatever they were building, even if they weren't pulling it out of the ground, but they were making sure that the infrastructure was under the ground Correct. to make sure that they were doing that. Mm-hmm. Because I could, I was like, this is going to explode. And there was some talk about EV back then, but mm-hmm. nowhere near what it is now. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and I actually had a deal um, during that time frame that stopped mid deal so that they could redesign the entire, it was an industrial deal mm-hmm. uh, for a big distribution company. And they completely stopped design so they can completely change the electric grid underground. Yes. They, so they, that when they were ready, they could pull those stations up yes. for charging. Yes. That's, that's great that they, that they were able to do that. Some people have looked at me when I tell them about 3d printing and I've been doing that for a while. And now you see a lot of the homes being built with, uh, it's coming still. It's still not, you know, escalated, but actually it started a, a lot in Austin where that Tesla comes from now. <laughs> well, that and, um, you know, like the, the influence of Uber, I think one of the first ULI meetings I went to was in San Francisco. And this was mm-hmm. 
when Uber was early. Mm-hmm. And I remember it wasn't really a thing in mm-hmm. in Tampa. And I came back and I was like, this this like ride share thing is coming. Right. I was like so enamored with it. I'm, I like to say I am an early adopter, like admirer. I like mm-hmm. people who early adopt mm-hmm. and I love to hang out with you because I think that's, mm-hmm. what, you know, mm-hmm. um, and I do some things myself, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm a little more timid. You want to like, live vicariously like, through them? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm like, y'all go figure it out. And then you tell me which piece I need. Yes, it is. Right. I got it. <laughs> and then I'm in like the next phase. You know, right. like y'all go, y'all go hit your head against the wall a little bit. Okay. Right. Um, so final question I have for you is if someone wanted to keep up with your projects or your progress mm-hmm. in your career, where's the best place for them to follow you? They should follow me on LinkedIn. I'm awesome. I'm most active there. And um, I share a lot about the technology that's coming or actually, you know, in the works it, as well as whatever else I'm, I'm working on. Uh, sometimes it's a little music related. Sometimes it's um, I'm working on some music business uh, things in, in the city. Um, sometimes it's real estate and sometimes it's tech. And the tech well, is across all pro- pro- platforms. It could be anything. So I would I would totally follow me there, and y- you you won't be disappointed. It's always something um, that would pique your curiosity. Mm-hmm. I can't wait to make sure I follow you. I'll make sure we have your links in my show mm-hmm. notes. And um, as a shout out to my sound editor, my son, mm-hmm. he is going to probably be reaching out to you because all of those things you mentioned are things that he's interested in. Okay. Uh, the intersection of tech and music and real estate and how people live. Oh, um, yes. Uh, and and it, he keeps playing around with the idea of maybe I'll move to New Orleans. And I'm like, well, you didn't grow up there. And he's like, ah, oh, it's a great city. So. It's pulling him, huh? Well, tell him that here's my early adopter gadget, right? Awesome. They're called Ray-Ban Stories. Okay. Tell him to check them out. Do you know what they are? The Ray-Ban Stories? No, but the last thing I heard is something about these AI things with like writing and how AI oh, they're doing all that it. AI generative art. Yes. I've been doing that as well, but here, here Ray-Ban eyeglasses, you can have them as eyeglasses or sunglasses. Okay. You have a partnership with Meta formerly known as Facebook. Yeah. And literally talking about AI, you can say, Hey, Facebook, take a picture. Hey, Facebook, take a video and your eyeglasses will do that. And they're pretty cool pictures. You can hear your music or whatever's on on your phone and you can take your call. So there's your early adopter tip. I love it. Check them out. Your son might think they're cool. And I, um, I absolutely love it. It's been yeah. such a pleasure having you yes, here today, absolutely. hearing your story and how you're influencing the city that you love. Um, and I really look forward to being able to see not only your projects in the near future, but also be able to meet you in person. So I want to thank you for coming on today. I just helping us better understand who you are and what you're doing at your company. So thanks again. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us for another episode of She's Wild, the podcast for women in land and development. If you enjoyed today's show, please go out and rate us so that we can be found by other women in our industry. And if you know women who are working in land and development, please share this podcast with them. And if you know a total rock star woman badass chick who is killing it in land and development anywhere in North America. I want to know who she is. Please reach out to me so that I can feature her on an upcoming episode.